This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting Objections, Sales EQ, and Inked, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, and today I've got Helen Fanucci on the podcast to talk about why you need to start loving your sales team. First of all, I want you to go check out Sales Gravy University. You can find Sales Gravy University at learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com. There is a reason why many of the most prestigious brands in the world use the courses on Sales Gravy University to train their teams. We have sales experts from every walk of life who teach their courses on Sales Gravy University. And, and this is what makes us different. We offer live courses every single week that you can attend with your peers. And a lot of entire sales teams come together to these courses that are taught by our master trainers. There really isn't anything like it out there. And you can take your first course for free. So if you've never taken a course on Sales Gravy University, just go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com. Drop in the code free course and check it out. Any course you want, just drop in the code free course and it's yours. Helen, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I got an early, early, early review of your book. And as soon as I started reading it, it was like 1130 at night. It was sent to me by someone that wrote the foreword of your book, but it was sent <laughs> to me early and said, you got to read this book. And I was just blown away because you and I share a very similar philosophy when it comes to sales leadership and what matters most. And I'm going to throw a, uh, a line that's in a book I wrote back. I spent been 10 years called people follow you. And the line is this, you get paid for what you, your people do, not what you do. Therefore, it is in your best interest to make sure that you are doing things that allow them to do their jobs. One of the things I've always encouraged sales leaders to do is look at your paycheck. You didn't do that. The salespeople who work for you did that. I want you to take that statement and give you the floor to maybe riff on that a little bit and talk to us about why that means something to, or why it should mean something to sales leaders in terms of how they're approaching their role as a sales leader with their teams. Oh, I love that statement. It's, I agree a thousand percent. And the focus of the book is all about helping sales leaders support their team more effectively, remove roadblocks and blockers, the friction that comes with selling, and also use their positional power to help leader help their sellers get to additional executives in the organization. So a lot of sales books are really externally focused on closing deals or customer um, conversations. This is 100% focused on helping a leader amplify the effectiveness of their sellers. And one of the things I deeply believe is their sellers, their top talent is their number one customer. And if they're not focused there, they're really missing the mark of amplifying their own success. What is it that you see sales leaders focused on other than that? So you say that the center of your universe should be your sales team. Right. And you should be doing everything you can to get that team in position to win. Right. What do you see sales so, leaders doing that's not that? Yeah. So interestingly, I had a conversation today with somebody and they said, you know what? 
you know, our, our sales leaders, they're on, they do every Monday morning, they do a call. They're, you know, ramping up to get their team ready to sell this week. Like, you know, how are your Monday morning calls going? And I said, you know what? I don't do them. That is a one way street typically where sales leaders are shouting at their team, encouraging their team, yelling at their team, whatever they're doing. And where I think, you know, we've got to kind of pause and slow down for a minute is a sales leader needs to understand what motivates their team members. The focus of my approach is on regular one-on-ones with my team, um, you know, every two weeks. Sometimes we do more frequently, some less, but really to understand what motivates them. Because if COVID has, you know, taught us that everything, something's going on with everybody. So I had one week a year ago, fall of 2021, where three of my team members ended up in the emergency room for non COVID reasons. And that same month, Two members of my team had siblings that passed away due to COVID. That same month, one of our coworkers committed suicide. And so human beings can't perform unless they're okay. And it behooves the sales leader to understand what motivates their team, but importantly, what is going on with them that might prevent them from being their best and help support that individual, or at least have compassion short-term if they're going through something. And success on the seller's part will differ seller to seller. It could be promotions. It could be, um, you know, I had a seller that wanted to go work in another country for Microsoft. And of course, achieving sales results and targets are is anti in the game. And so, you know, that's also a center point of the conversation, but my book is people centric first, and I've been very successful delivering multi-billion dollar quotas by being able to help my sellers, support my sellers and amplify their success. And I give pragmatic how-to guidance in the book, 17 conversation chapters devoted to different aspects of what I believe a sales manager needs to attend to, to support their team. The the name of the book is love your team or survival guide for sales managers in a hybrid world. Right. So when you talk about being a human and really getting into the, into the trenches with your team, I, I just go back to my favorite job. So as I was rising through the corporate world and very much like you, I, you know, I start at the bottom and I move my way up. The one stop that I took where I was a field level sales leader and I had a team of 10 salespeople who were working for me was my favorite job that I ever had. Now I've had, I've had multiple sales management jobs along the way. Uh, and, and, but the very last one before I started really moving into the, the upper echelons and moving into like, you know, the, the VP roles and running really, you know, massive sales teams globally. I love that job more than anything because that was building my own tribe. I had this group of people that would run through the wall, do anything, but they, they competed with each other. They loved each other. We learned together. We failed together. I, to me, that was the, the best part of being a leader was to have that group of people around me. And, and through all of my time in corporate, the corporate world, I never could find another role 
another leadership role where you really could do that. One of the reasons was because sales is so competitive and because it's it's really easy to look at a salesperson and say, is this person successful or not? Because there's typically a number attached to it. So as a leader, you know, building that team around you, it, it's, it's just, to me, it's just the most satisfying thing I ever did as a, as a, as a leader, as a person. But one of the things that I remember, this is back, my wife and I lived in Memphis at one time and I was running the the sales team in the mid South for a large, you know, multinational global company. And she would say, why are you on the phone at 11 o'clock at night? Why are you sitting in the parking lot having a conversation with that sales rep after work? Why are you getting your car and going to have coffee with someone? And I would always explain to her, I would say, this person is going to walk into the biggest deal of their life tomorrow morning and their spouse just walked out the door. Their kid just got sick. They're struggling with, you know, how to pay for something and all they need is someone to talk to. But if they walk in tomorrow morning into that big deal where everything is on the line, by the way, no different than an athlete going into a game and they're thinking about that and not thinking about their performance because I wasn't there for them. I'm going to lose. It's going to hurt me. So being there for your team, being there as, um, and, and, and sometimes you almost have to be an amateur psychologist. And I hate to say that because there are tons of books that say, don't do that as a leader, but you've just got to be there sometimes and listen to them. And I don't know that sales leaders always understand how intimate this particular role is when it comes to the people on your team that you're surrounding yourself with. Yeah, so true. So You know, one of the things that I've adopted, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, The Coaching Habit, but it it suggests that you that coaching is really about asking questions and clarifying. And someone might come to you and say, hey, I need some advice on X, Y or Z, but you're not in their shoes. So getting underneath what's really going on and being curious is an attribute, I think, managers need to have with their teams. It's not about tell, it's about listen, ask questions, understand. And it's super pragmatic. You know, if you have a seller, a top seller with let's say a million dollar quota and they walk out the door day one of the fiscal year, it takes at least three months to replace them. If you can find the talent, that's $250,000 at risk and another five or six months to get up to full strength. 500,000 at risk in addition. So it's 750,000 out of the million dollars. So if you can't retain your talent, you're in trouble uh, as a sales leader. So it's economically pragmatic, uh, but it also unlocks the door to really amplify success. And like you, I'm, you know, I am a drive by, you know, the doors open, you know, send me an IM, text me, you know, I'm happy for a drive by conversation. I'd rather be available, and, you know, if something is up that they want to talk about. Um, so while I have a, you know, a regular cadence, it's always, you know, the doors open and I'd rather talk to them about that. And that is super satisfying because I, I also you know, help them with strategy. I also, you know, intervene if there's performance issues. And in fact, a couple of my you know biggest fans are people who, you know, had performance issues and were on a performance improvement plan and stepped up and I coached them and I supported them. And then, you know, they're great performers. So you just can't 
you can't substitute the one-on-one connection with your team, I think. Yeah, it's, it's super important. And when we start thinking about performance and forecasts and goals, one of the, the things that I landed on really early in my career as a, as a sales leader was sitting down with my people and developing goal sheets. So would be, typically we'd have breakfast, but I would say, you know, tell me what you want, tell me what you're looking for, tell me what you value. And we would start working through basically laying out in, in their world and their, in their language, the things that were important to them. And, you know, as so many sales leaders these days have a difficult time hitting their forecast, there's always a salesperson who may be behind. But what I found is when I stopped talking about forecasts and I start talking about quotas and I started talking about swimming pools and houses and sending kids to college and the things that were really important to them, then it was a lot easier for them to step into what they had to do as a salesperson in order to achieve those goals. And I think we have to be care- I think we have to be wise enough to understand that most of the things that we're asking salespeople to do, they don't want to do. And is very difficult for them to do as a human being. It is not natural for human beings to do most of the things that we ask people to execute in, in, in sales, which is facing rejection or facing the potential for losing something or having a set of, of goals and quotas that if you don't hit, you might not keep your job. So I, I think that as leaders, we have to get that that this is a one-to-one relationship. There's certainly enough data out there to tell us that people don't leave, leave companies. They leave, they leave managers in the book. You, you use a, um, uh, a, it was either Gartner or Gallup, I think it was Gallup, but it was a Gallup poll that says that 70% of people, they value the relationship they have their, their manager. That's what matters most of them, not the job itself, which is true. Right. So, but, but we also, you know, when we start thinking about how we build these relationships, I want to make sure that we're, we don't, and I know you're not saying this in the book, but we're not saying that sales leadership should be kumbaya. I built a tribe of people around me in a tough environment where you were expected to perform and they would do anything in the world to, to hit their numbers. Not everybody was the same. Some people were superstars. Some people were, they, they were, they were my bench, you know, bitch players, but, uh, but it is about the relationship with your people. What, what I think the point I'm trying to make is that if you're a leader or you're an aspiring leader, this can be the best job you've ever had if you make it about your people. It can be the most boring, tedious, worst job you have if you make it about the numbers and the data and the meetings and all the meetings, the meetings and the meetings and the meetings. If you make it about that and you make it about you. Uh, and right. so uh, let me, let's back up real quickly to um, to coaching. So you, you used uh, some information from the coaching habit. We, we know that when you're coaching salespeople, that a question that you ask is more important than anything that you'll ever say. And anything that you say to a salesperson is going to be much more impactful when it's delivered in the form of a question. If we were to look at sales leadership and sales coaching, it is a language of questions. That is something that I find that sales leaders writ large really struggle with. They are closed-ended leading question. They are talking at, broadcasting at, and they are not slowing down and using questions to challenge your salespeople to think differently, to open up to new possibilities and, and to, and to help salespeople find answers that they already know the answer to so that they can move along a path and have ownership and, 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 and essentially be empowered to go out and get stuff done. How are, how are you addressing that with the people that you work with in terms of how do we help today's leaders actually become good coaches? 
Yeah, that's a really great question. So the orientation needs to be off the leader and on to their team. So there's some foundational um, skills or principles, which I think are critical for success. So for example, ability to build trust with your team. And I talk about that and I talk about, well, you've just got a new job and you need to introduce yourself to your team. How do you go about doing that? And I, each of the conversation chapters, by the way, is here's how traditional sales managers do it. Here's how love your team. Give us an example of that. So give us an example of how traditional sales managers do it and how sales managers who love their team do it. Right. So I, um, uh, so introducing yourself to your team. So I've been in uh, on the receiving end of a new leader coming in and uh, introducing themselves. And it's all about them, their resume, their career. And there's nothing in it about helping the sellers understand their leadership philosophy, their point of view, what kind of approach they're going to take with a team, how to interact with them. There's nothing that kind of reverses it to say, okay, here's, um, you know, here's what I'm expecting from you, but here's my philosophy. So for me, I, I put culture first. Um, I also have, um, outcome performance objectives, clarity of performance objectives and attaining those objectives, a regular cadence and rhythm of checkpointing. I have um, that, you know, no surprises. You know, I want bad news, good news to travel fast, no surprises. And that, you know, it's really about them and supporting them. And then I also talk about, okay, here's what you can expect from me. We're going to do a a one-on-one and no prep is needed. It is, um, you know, show up. I just want to learn about you. I want to understand what makes you tick. Uh, And then, you know, we'll have ongoing one-on-ones. And, you know, if you have something top of mind about the business, absolutely, you know, don't hesitate to bring it up. But the orientation, uh, I believe, again, from the get go, you need to set the tone that you care about the team and that you're there to help make them successful, not about all the accolades. And you're a big man on campus, so to speak, you know, and just got this big, great job. So I've seen that, you know, difference, like compare and contrast um, is that's what I would say in terms of how traditional managers might do it. And I've been on the receiving end versus a love your team manager. Yeah. Nobody cares about you, but, but let's, let's be real. If we, if we think about your ability to influence the behavior of the people on your team, the data tells us that there is a certain amount of experience that gives you credibility walking through the door. So you got the job. If you were successful, if you were, you know, if you had, crush your numbers someplace like the first job, first sales leadership job I got, I had, I was the number one salesperson in the entire company. And then I got to be a sales leader. So I walked in with that. Okay. Which is dangerous because that's exactly how you lose your sales team. But I did walk in with it. So you get a little bit of credibility walking through the door. The minute you say, I had a sales leader who did this once that that met met him for the very first time, walks to the door. He goes, here are my five non-negotiables. That was the first thing out of his mouth. And he was fired within, within, I think almost nine months he was gone. Because the the sales team abandoned him. Like the sales team walked out and said, we're not doing this for you. And, but, 
but the, the, that's, you get a little bit for that. What people care about are really two things. This is the data about how people are influenced by you as a leader. Do you have my best interest at heart? So are you a person I can trust that is going to put me first? Are you going to get me in position to win? So for example, you used a really good example. I've got a deal on the line. I need approval someplace in the organization, up the chain. You're a person that can make the connection between me and the executive. And in a large organization, it could be people inside the matrix that you've got to go find that will approve a deal. You're able to do that for me. Are you a person who has my best interest at heart? And are you a person who can get me in position to win? Those two things matter greatly, right? So, and, and, and one is trust, one is relationship, and one is, do I believe in you? And the thing that I've, that when I meet like terrible sales leaders and I've worked for a couple, they, they don't have my best interest at heart. They're only about themselves. They're just trying to get to the next rung on the ladder and they can put me in position to win because they're morons and they're not as good as me. And that doesn't mean that as a sales leader, you have to be as good as me, but, but you're a moron and you're, you're basically a product of the Peter principle. So you got in that role. And I think that if, if you're a sales leader and you are over your head, you're better off telling your team, you know what, you guys know more about this than I do. Tell me how I can help you. And I've been in that position before. I've like, you know, I took over national accounts one time and I'm like, you guys have been here for 20 years. I've been here for like two months. I don't know anything. Teach me. So people dig that. They love it when you're humble. They love it when you're open. They love it when you're transparent. And then you got to be thinking to yourself, what am I doing every single day to get my people in position to win? That's your job, coach, period, end of story. Let's, yeah, so good. So good. Another example is, um, so we talked about getting deal approval for discounts or investments. So we have this deal review board with our top senior executive, executive VP, who, you know, for big deals uh, is in the room. He's the decision maker. So I there's a lot of steps before you get to in the room, so to speak. And it's all virtual now. So I have my team. My seller is doing the presentation. He or she put together the business case they're presenting. I'm in the back you know, with the camera off, I take notes, I take action items because I want them present, you know, in the conversation. And it does three things. It has the seller get, the seller gets exposure to senior execs within the company. Number two, they get skills and confidence in delivering the presentation. And number three, we debrief after the call, what went well, what didn't go so well, did we achieve our objectives? And that's how I do it. But I've seen sales leaders take the baton. Their seller does all the work putting together the business case and they go present it. And I think that's backwards. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. I think you're exactly right. That's what a great leader does. A great leader is going to give that person the opportunity to shine in front of executives and they're not going to hang them out the dry. They're going to get them prepped and ready to go ahead of time. I'm sure that's what you right. do. Yep. And then because you're not talking, you're observing. And if we think about sales coaching, just the, 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 the act of sales coaching, 80% of sales coaching is your mouth shut and your eyes and ears open. It is taking notes. It's listening because when you do that, that after action review or that debrief, you're not going to mm -hmm. coach everything. You're going to be coaching the things that are going to have the most impact for making that person better the next time they're in that situation. Better than that, though, you're creating a person who can do the work on their own. 
that allows you to scale yourself. If that person gets good, that your salesperson gets good at going in, presenting their case to executives, maybe the next time they don't need you in the room. Then you can go coach someone else and get them good at it. And then you can coach someone else. And this is when I go back to, you don't get paid for what you do. You get paid for what your people do. If you're doing the presentation, if you're closing the deal, you're not doing your job. All you're doing is making yourself look good or feel good or telling your salespeople, I don't trust you to do it because you're a moron. I'm better than you are. You, you, it, and, and, and I've, look, I've seen it happen. So as a sales leader, your job is to lift your people up. Now, l- let me, Helen, this is a piece of advice that I give the new sales leaders. Okay. Young sales leaders, okay? You're 25 years old, you're 26 years old, and you're about to get your first leadership. Maybe you're 28, 29, but you're in your, you're in your 20s. You're getting your first shot at this. And people will say, well, what do I need to do to get ready to be a leader? And my answer is always, are you ready to put the needs of other people ahead of your own? Are you ready to let the other people in your team be the stars and you're behind the scenes? Are you ready to let that go? Because if your ego can't let that go, you're going to fail at this job. And I've had a few look at me and go, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet because I like being the star. I like getting the trophy. I like walking up on stage and, you know, and, and, and picking up the plaque at President's Club. So I'm, I'm curious about the advice that you give new sales leaders if people are listening. And we've got a big audience right. that probably I'm inspiring to be a sales leader. What advice would you give them if they're thinking, OK, I hear all this. What do I need to do right now to get myself in position and prepared when I get tapped on the shoulder and now I'm running a sales team? Right. So um, my first advice is love your team. So I um, I deliberately use that word because to me, that is all about making the other person, your team member, the center of attention. But pra- pragmatically, get yourself a mentor, get you know a peer mentor, someone with more experience, maybe in another team, uh, job shadow, go see what people are doing, learn, listen, get help. And then also, you know, I assume, but if someone's coming in, for example, from outside of Microsoft, it's probably a bad assumption that they know the mechanics of running, you know, CRM, what the team needs to do. They'll just learn the mechanics of what the standard is and whatever company they're, they're at. Um, Cause that those fundamentals, if you will, are the easy part. I'd also say, just get to know each team member, what they care about, what makes them tick. Cause I have some, like three of my sellers got promoted to be um, a manager, their first management job, which I'm super proud of, but we prepared for that. We, they shadowed me, they filled in on forecast calls. They, they know, you know, they know the job. Some of them still come back to me and say, Hey, here's what I'm dealing with. What are your ideas or thoughts of it? So you've got to, this is a team sport and find uh, coaches for yourself that can help you grow in the role. Great advice. Now, next question. So one thing to get promoted and you leave your team and you take over a team that doesn't know you. A totally different thing that you get promoted and now you're in charge of the people that used to be your peers. How do you handle that? Yeah, I've done that too. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, again, meet with everybody, 
you know, and by the way, because I was their peers, I know what they do way better than I do. The other thing is like, this is now going back 25 years or so, or more maybe. Um, when I was first a manager, I thought I needed to tell my team how to do it. Cause that's why I was a manager. So for me, if I'm getting promoted and amongst my peers, I stay out of their way. I know what they do well. I create clarity of outcome-based expectations what kind of frequency we're going to meet to deliver on the results and ask them, Hey, how can I help you be successful and amplify, you know, what you're looking to accomplish uh, in your role, whether it's a promotion, uh, obviously making the quota, whatever. Okay. Next question. I kind of like this next question. (laughs) You're a leader or you're either a new leader or a veteran leader. And the company comes to you and says, we have a sales team that is broken. We've had a lot of turnover. The last sales manager didn't work out. These people are failing. When you look at their team ranking reports, you're at the bottom of the ranking report. And we need you to move to some weird place, someplace and fix this. And you say, okay, I'll take it. What do you do? You show up on the first day. (laughs) What should you do uh, to put yourself in, in position to turn that team around? Yeah. So I had that too. So I, I, um, took over a team where the two first level managers left and the second level manager left all, you know, one fell swoop. And so I came in as a second level manager and, um, you know, one is I got to know the team that was there, but I started creating a structure of accountability, um, and, you know, kind of really getting business insight and um, asking questions and over three months. Oh, and then I, I hired two first level managers as well. But but in parallel, I really was after kind of the business insight and uh, structure to be able to figure out what we needed to do to turn around the business. So within three months, I was able to go from a declining month over month trajectory to a climbing month over month trajectory. Because honestly, if you're attending to the basics with customers, partners, you know, because it was a, a going business, if you will, but it was decline. It was un, under, uh, there was lack of focus. And so give focus and direction to the team. And then, you know, within six months, we were growing in excess of market growth. Uh, but that's what I did. I, you know, I'm an MIT trained engineer. And so I look at logic and process and try to put the pieces together. And, you know, the team is hungry for leadership and they're hungry for some focus. And so that's what I did and asked for help from them and others because they know more about that business in particulars. Um, But that's what I did. Yeah, I think that the I've been on multiple turnarounds in my in my career. I think one of the most important lessons I ever learned was be very careful not to try to fix everything all at once. So, at a one of my great leadership mentors, a guy that I worked for um, several times, I I just love it would give me these turnaround assignments, and he would say, "Don't do anything. You go there and you watch and you observe and you pay attention." Don't make this mistake of walking in and assuming that you know what's wrong. 
And then you said something I think that was profound there, which is you're, you, you really want to start looking at the basics and fundamentals. It's essentially, it's, a, it's an Occam's razor problem, right? So instead of trying to fix all of this peripheral th- stuff, focus on the most obvious reason why this team is failing and start there. We call it putting a stake in the ground. So if you're a leader, mm-hmm. you're in that situation, put the stake in the ground and focus on the stake. And you'll make, you'll make two big mistakes in turnarounds. One, you try to fix everything at once, you'll fail. Well, actually three mistakes. Two, you try to, uh, you try to make everybody happy, you'll fail. And three, you try to fix something that you can't fix. So you want to focus on what's the most fundamental basic thing that will have the biggest impact on your team's performance that you can impact. If you can't fix it, if it's outside of your control, don't waste any time on it that you can fix. And then you focus all of your attention, all your team's attention on that. Because what you want them to understand is that when you, the boss, the leader says, we're going to fix that, we are by God going to fix it. And then when it gets fixed, move the stake. Like you did that. So in the first three months, you got turned. And then the six months later, you're you're going upwards. It's wonderful advice. Let, let's yeah, the, sh- other, the other thing that happened was over time with that focus, I was able to um, assess the team. And it turned out we had sellers and people on the team that weren't in the right role um, that needed to move on, quite frankly. And that happened over time. But I never would have one had the criteria really to to know. And secondly, it's too much to try to address the whole thing. Just provide focus and get, you know, step by step process in place. One piece at a time. Let's go back to one to ones. Yeah. OK, so you you actually started off talking about one to ones. I, In my opinion, the one to one meeting is the most important meeting that the sales leader has with their sales professional. So talk to me about your philosophy and I'm going to share my philosophy as well. So we'll, we'll, we may be in agreement. We may have two different sides of the coin, but your okay. philosophy with the one-to-one meetings, how should they be structured? How do you recommend that sales leaders execute them? And is there a difference between one-to-ones with say a team of say young salespeople that are in more, you know, short cycle or mid cycle sales roles and one-to-ones with salespeople who are veterans who are doing enterprise level deals and are, you know, are, are the true sales professionals that have risen through the ranks and will likely retire. That'll be their, that's the job they're doing for the rest of their life because they're just that good at it. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, two confessions, my gosh, my focus over the last, you know, 15 years has been enterprise. So I'm going to, I'm going to channel my earlier self for the early, you know, early in profession folks, but to answer your question. So on the one-on-ones, how I have it structured is every two weeks, as I said, sometimes actually the sellers want it more frequently if they have a lot going on with their deals and accounts, and maybe they want more strategy or more time. And I love the strategy section, but I expect them to come prepared with an agenda and to let me know how I can be of utmost help to them. And and I'll ask a few questions or I'll ask a lot of questions, but they it's their time. They're running the show. I may um, have some things that are on my agenda to add and we may elongate it. It's usually 30 minutes. We may make it longer. It's not the only time that we talk about a deal because 
with a company the size of Microsoft, if there's a big deal happening, there's a broader team discussion um, orchestrating resources. Uh, but that's the the cornerstone of my insight into the individual, how they think, how they're um, running their business, but also leading the cross-functional team as the one-on-ones. It's also where red flags come up. Like if they're not really talking about if they're talking too in a too much of a surface manner and not really getting into the politics or the who's, you know, the decision criteria at the customer, it's a red flag on whether they really have deal control and insight. Um, separately outside that one-on-one, we do um, a forecast rhythm. So, you know, I have the pipeline, we have forecast calls and that's more of a, a team thing because also the team members learn from each other. Um, but I don't, I don't care how they spend their day-to-day time. I know there's like, you know, surveillance software and things like that. And people are freaked out about their teams being remote, but you put the guardrails around that you get insight into how they're actually performing and also how they're engaged. Um, so if you're early in your career, I would probably provide more structure to them. I do sometimes have right out of college, um, early in career sellers, and I provide more structure and I usually pair them with a more senior seller. And over time, they become more and more ind- independent. So I've uh, we have a, a little bit of agreement there, with, which is uh, it is for red flags. It is for opening up a conversation, asking a lot of questions, making sure that you understand where they are. I typically don't use one-to-ones for deal reviews. Uh, I will, you know, there may be roadblocks that I want to know about, but I'd I'd prefer to have deal reviews can be organic conversations. They can be, Mm -hmm. they can be framed conversations where we're working together as a group or a team. They can be in the context of a forecast meeting, but typically for me, a one-to-one shouldn't be more than 15 minutes long. Then that's just my philosophy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and the reason that I say that is because a lot of sales leaders, when you talk about span of control, they're looking at, you know, 10, sometimes 12. And, you know, as we start moving into a more recessionary period, you can be pushing people into 15 salespeople. So if you have 30 minute one-to-ones, you're like, you're never going to get to them. And then you're going to start breaking trust because you're going to show up to them. So, so I'm, I like 15 minutes for these meetings. Now where you and I are in absolute stone cold agreement is that it is their meeting, not my meeting. I don't do any prep to show up to the one-to-one. It's their Mm -hmm. job. They have an agenda. I tell them what I want them to bring. And I do think that that's going to be different by company. It's going to be different by what you're selling. And it's going to be Mm -hmm. different by the, 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 the type of seller that you're working with, with a veteran, my one-to-one may be five minutes long because I I know you and I know who what's going on in your life. And I'm just checking to make sure you're still breathing. That's all I want to know. You're breathing. You're okay. Cause I trust you that if something's wrong, you're going to let me know about it. And it's not going to be in the one-to-one with a newer person, uh, like a brand new person. I will go 30 minutes with a brand new person, even an hour with a brand new person, because sometimes one-to-one shift into training or helping them navigate something they don't know how to get to in, inside the organization. But most of the time with most people, 15 minutes, And all I'm doing is finger on the pulse. You said red flags. I want to know what's happening in your world. I'm not really watching for the information that you're giving me. I'm watching you because, Mm -hmm. because what I use one-to-ones to do is inform my coaching time. 
most of my time as a sales leader should be spent with my salespeople coaching, whether that is on the phone, whether that's in a video call, whether that's in the field with them face-to-face, wherever they are, that's my job. If I'm an inside salesperson, I need to be on the floor side by side. But I want the one-to-ones to tell me where I need to be allocating my time with my team because not everybody needs me equally. The veteran who's been around for 20 years and like shows up every day and they're a savant and they, all they need me to do is just clear the deck for them so they can sell more. I know what my job with them is, but I've got these, these, a lot of salespeople that are going to have differing issues, different problems. They're going to have a, they're going to get like, something's going to happen and they're going to change the way that they go about selling. They're going to get in a slump, whatever the case is. I want to know that. So so I'm, I'm much more, and this is just me. And I, and I wanted to share this because I think that w- one of the things that's important and I love, I love the transparency here is you say, this is what I do. Cause well, I'm, this is what I do. And I, and there's not one way of doing this. There's different ways, but you can see if you're listening, uh, if you're watching, you can see, but if you're listening <laughs> to this, you can see that there is an intersection here. We're looking for red flags. It's not our meeting. The salespeople right. do all the work. <clears throat> All my job is to show up, and you said these the 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 uh, the magic word for me. I ask a lot of questions. Leader shells leadership is a language of questions, and most of those questions should be open ended questions that compel the person to talk to you for me, so I can watch them to know whether or not they're okay. And if they're not okay, then I need to change what I'm doing so I can make them okay. Cause I get paid for what they do, not what I do. Yeah, I love that. So just so you know, I've done the math. So my structure is 15% of my time in a given month, that kind of cadence of meetings that I'm talking about, plus the forecast calls. So I figure 15% is a okay um, amount. And by the way, if there's vacations, if there's customer meal uh, meetings, you know, or we're covering some of stuff in a different form, like maybe we're traveling together, then that's a whole different thing. Yes. So well, th- let's stop there. Cause that's a great point. And I, and I make this point to sales leaders all the time. You're traveling with your salesperson. <laughs> Do the one-to-one then. I mean, you're meeting with them. You're having yeah, you lunch, bet. you're having breakfast. You don't need to schedule a formal one-to-one with them. So yeah, on the other side of it, if your salespeople keep scheduling customer meetings in the middle of your one-to-ones, what they're telling you is that your one-to-ones suck and you need to change them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or they're afraid of being called out or on yeah. something because they're falling behind, but that's a different issue. I use language like that, Helen, because I didn't go to MIT. I went to a really crappy college and got a C, a C average. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, so one of the things that, um, that, that I talk to sales leaders about all the time is a system of sales management. So as an engineer that ought to connect with you, yeah, for sure. So with, with some of the time we have left, uh, I know that this book is really system oriented. So as you start going through it, it really lays out, hey, this is the, this is the machine for getting the most out of your team. Right. Give us some advice, the people that are listening of things that they can do right now that can help them start building a system of sales management, a system that allows them to do these human things and keeps the train on the tracks. Yeah. So if you don't have um, outcome-based performance expectations that are clear, get some. And for me, it's not just revenue. It's also getting higher in the organization with more senior executives. 
um, you know, leading a strong cross-functional team because there's like 50 people loosely affiliated or strongly affiliated with a customer. So, you know, clear because that that um, those objectives create the framework to checkpoint and find out to see how an individual's doing. And it just it simplifies, frankly. So clarity of objectives have some kind of connection point where you're getting to know your team and obviously a forecast for them, et cetera. And then I would also say, what are you doing to build trust and be curious and learning some of the principles that, by the way, you probably expect your sellers to demonstrate with customers. So sellers, you know, build trust, have clarity, you know, ask good questions. So it's kind of a, a virtuous cycle to say, demonstrate the behavior with your team that you expect them to see with customers. Very good. Okay. Back early in my career, I wanted to get promoted. I was, I was crushing my numbers. I was making it rain. And I went to my leader and said, I want more. I, I, I want to grow. And I'll never forgive this, forget, I've forgiven, but I'll never forget what this leader said to me. <laughs> Maybe a Freudian slip there. Um, he, he said, over my dead body. And the reason that he said that was because I was so much of his number. Like his business plan had been baked and I was part of the headcount. And if something happened to me, his bonus was, was gone because I was making so much happen. And I remember walking away, I went home that night and I, it, it just, it bugged me so bad and it grinded on me. And the next day I went in and I did my job, but I started looking and I started you looking, bet. started looking, started looking, started looking. And then one day I get a great offer and I go to the company, go to my boss and said, I'm leaving. And at that point, all hell broke loose. So they, they flew executives in, like people were coming to talk to me and I got, I ended up getting promoted. I mean, that the end, the, the, at the end of the day, they gave me what I wanted, which was a promotion in order to keep me in the company. It was a really poor way of doing that. Cause I wasn't ready for the promotion. I just wanted a career path. And in today's world, you make the point early in the book about how many people are quitting their jobs and how much opportunity there is for people out there. I just wanted to end with how important it is for sales leaders to look at each individual on their team and have a conversation about what they want to do with their career. Some people just want to be salespeople. Some people want to be leaders, but they're really not ready for it yet. And they don't, they sometimes don't even know they're not ready for it yet. And some people, they don't have, they, they want more, they desire more, they want your job, they want someone else's job, but they don't have a path to get there, nor do they have an advocate within the organization that is, that is telling other people why this person should get promoted. And maybe, maybe this isn't important, but I, I think it is to, to think about the sales leaderships, the sales leader's role in developing their people for bigger opportunities and more important roles within the organization and what specifically should they be doing? You said you just had three people that you were able to promote off your team. So clearly this is something that's important to you. And I want to end with this because I just want you to tell leaders exactly what they should be doing with their people to make sure that their folks see a future. So that they're not, yeah. they're not leaving you for someplace else where they, because they don't see any future in your organization. 
Right. And it's gotten more acute now because with remote work, you're not just competing with other companies in your industry or your geography. You're competing with every company on the planet for talent. So what I do is I have at a minimum twice a year career, intentional career discussion. This is outside of the regular one-on-one, but okay, find out what do they want to do career-wise? Are they good where they are? Are they looking for a promotion? Do they want to be a manager? Do they want to change geography? And, you know, do they see themselves, how long do they see themselves staying at Microsoft or at this role? Because nobody stays at a company forever. Let's just be frank about it. So how can I help them And are there places within Microsoft where they can, you know, fulfill that ambition and then create a plan and, you know, it's career self-reliance. So at the end of the day, it's on them to take the actions, but there's mentoring and there's, you know, buddy systems and they're shadowing. There's all sorts of how to grow a person, but the first order business is Find out and then commit yourself to figuring out how to help them achieve that outcome. Because, you know, it's kind of tragic, really, that your company had to go through all of those gymnastics to get you to stay and that that manager was so short sighted to not listen, take you seriously. It was all about him. And and you're just going to lose people that way. So that's what I would do. I think that makes a lot of sense. Very good. Helen Fanucci, love your team, a survival guide for sales managers in a hybrid world. Hold that book cover up for us. Yes. Congratulations. So oh, 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 there you go. Hold it back right there so we can see it. How, congratulations. This is, it's a big deal to write a book. And, uh, and this book is out right now. Tell people where they can get this book and where they can learn more about you and your awesome content. And by the way, I've also watched some beautiful videos of you on YouTube. So there's some great videos of you speaking in different places and interviews. This will be up on YouTube very soon as well. So tell people where they can find more about you. Well, LinkedIn is a good starting place. The book is on Amazon. So uh, look for it there. And I'd love to know um, the listeners. I'd love to know what you think. So ping me on LinkedIn or write a review on Amazon. That would be awesome. Uh, so that's, that's how they can find me. Very good. It's been such a pleasure having you on. I, I truly mean this. Congratulations on this book. It is wonderful. I've, uh, I, I've, I couldn't put it down. It's just everything that I believe about sales leadership are in the pages of these books are in the pages of this book. And I can tell that it's written by a practitioner, a person who's actually done it not some guru out there who doesn't really understand it, but they're just trying to get a book out. You've done a wonderful job with this. I hope everybody will go out and pick up this book. Helen, thank you for joining me on the Sales Gravy Podcast. Thank you, Jeb. It really touches my heart, your comments. I really appreciate your support and thank you for reading the book early and uh, having me on your podcast. Very good. Now, listen, if you want to learn how to lead people and uh, and after you've read Helen's book, you want some more, go to Salesgravy University. You can go to Salesgravy University at learn.salesgravy.com, learn.salesgravy.com. We just put up a course uh, for like social selling for, for sales leaders, how to lead your team to be better social sellers. And we've got tons of courses like that Uh, from some of the top trainers in the world. And right now, if you've never taken a course 
on Salisgrave University. You can go there for free. Use free course. Pick any course you want. And there's leadership courses and there's there's uh, prospecting courses and there's how to sell courses. And there are live courses. Use free course at learn.salesgravy.com. Learn.salesgravy.com. We'll see you next time on the Sales Gravy Podcast.